Folks, how do you do? Welcome along to The Mental Game, a podcast that takes a look at the psychology of human performance. I'm Larry G. McGuire, your host. And on the show here on a weekly basis, I take a look at uh, those factors, both external and internal, that influence our behavior and our results in the world, our performance. Performance, I regard as, I suppose, an umbrella term, and it covers so many things. Um, but primarily uh, I associate it with work, that thing we do when we're awake. So it could be sport for enjoyment. It could be gardening. It could be, I don't know, bacon could be your business, could be your career, your job, whatever that thing you do on a daily basis, whether you earn money from it or not, um, whatever it is that lights your fire. Uh, and encourages you to do better on a daily basis. Well, that's where you perform. That's the arena, I suppose, that you're in. Uh, and some of us, I suppose, we take it more seriously, you know, than others. And that's fine. That's the way life is. That's the way the world is. And human beings are. We're supposed to be different. But um, for me, certainly, the, the the core interest in this idea of human performance is, you know, how can we find happiness? contentment, fulfillment, satisfaction, more than satisfaction. It's about uh, enjoying your life rather than, you know, feeling you're on a treadmill going nowhere or under stress trying to meet uh, expectations. I don't I don't believe that's reflective of a, of a life well lived. You know, we have to wake up, I think, at some stage and realize that either we're in this world to gratify ourselves, whether that's, you know, and that doesn't mean you're narcissistic. It doesn't mean that uh, you're all out for yourself and the world is there to serve you. But I do believe it's about uh, playing the game, following where you're drawn, going where you're drawn, following your curiosity and doing what you love in inverted commas. Um, and I think that in, invariably when we do that, we can't help but have a positive effect on other people, those around us. Uh, that's kind of it in a nutshell in terms of performance and what I believe it to be. So, Within psychology, uh, research and practice has shown that certain things uh, can help us perform better and other things have a negative impact. I think largely, however, uh, what it comes down to is our interpretation. I touched on this in the last episode, number four, uh, episode number four, um, where we were talking about self-regulation and we were talking about um, mental rehearsal and all that kind of stuff. You can go check that out. But um, how we interpret the world, the events in the world, and, and our own emotion has a big impact on how we perform and where we go from here. So in today's episode, I wanted to look at the whole concept of becoming the performatist. Uh, the material I write here, you'll find a lot of it over on theperformatist.com. It's a site associated with this concept of, uh, well, which I'm going to get into now in a little bit. But it essentially says that you're entitled to command your own work and direct your own life and direct your own career, but purely for the enjoyment of it. Uh, Self-determination theory um, I'll probably do a future episode on this, talks a lot about this idea or describes rather how we are universally driven human beings for the psychological needs of autonomy, competence, relatedness. So when we choose our work, 
because it interests us, because we're curious about it. This is what drives psychological growth, you know, um, and well-being, etc. But the workplace and established norms um, really doesn't encourage that. So that's why that appeals to me. And incidentally, it's been shown uh, through research that extrinsics of the job or the work, extrinsic motivations like pay, like uh, environment, pool tables and uh, foosball tables and all this crack, um, they might be nice. And a lot of people might say uh, they're important, but these have been shown through self-determination uh, research to have a negative effect on intrinsic motivation. So it reduces your, uh, I suppose, internal drive to do work that matters, if that makes sense. But the performatist, this idea, well, actually, a better way to explain it is if I tell you a story. I was about 13 years old and I was on the junior team in school, junior football team. And we were playing a short game uh, on in the field near the school on the railway side. And I was, I don't know, corner forward or something like that. The ball came to me and I turned and I took a shot and I went wide. And the coach shouted at me, McGuire, you can't shoot. You can't shoot. You're not accurate enough. And I looked at him like, you know, Jesus. Uh, I don't know what I said to myself, but you can imagine what a 13 year old kid says to himself or herself when they're being lashed by a coach who doesn't know how to coach, essentially. But he said to me that, uh, I don't know how to pass and that in future I should pass it to somebody who who can. And um, I believed him. And for the next 20 years in my playing career, I believed this idea. Now, our performance doesn't come down to one life event, although uh, a single life event like that can have a significant impact on how we think about ourselves. Uh, it can lay the groundwork for everything we do. And um, as an adult, as I began to kind of examine this, incident it became more prominent i suppose in my memory for some reason probably because i was studying psychology and uh, it's always been a question on my mind as to why i never did better than i did but however there's so many factors and that's the point i wanted to make that we we can we can pinpoint one thing in our lives and say that's why i didn't perform well uh, and we can always almost use it as a crutch or an excuse now that doesn't rule it out but it's more accurate to say that there are so many things, a multitude of factors, like a universe uh, uh, of factors that influence how we perform. And psychology certainly doesn't have the answer, but uh, it can inform us to some degree um, on what's going on. So past life experiences influences um, our self-concept, you could say, and the version of ourselves that we bring to the world. And that's why I've come to understand that on any given day, we might fail. Um, despite commitment, despite dedication, the will to win, superior training and nutrition, professional help and surroundings. I mean, you could have the best gym in the world, the best facilities in the world and still not perform. Um, so there's more going on than we would like to think. And the answers aren't out there in a book. Uh, they're not in the words of a coach. They're not. It, it boils down to us individually and how we process all these things that are going on. Uh, and it's why I've come to believe that it's the mental game that we have to win first, you know, um, in all this kind of 
pursuit of achievement in the world in sport, work, business, the arts, whatever. Uh, it's our collective psychology or personal collection, I should say, uh, that matters, you know. So it's attempting to say, you know, psychology is the magic bullet. Just do what the coaches say and I'll achieve what I want to achieve. But I think that's short sighted, you know, um, it's uh, what you do and what makes you you are so unique that you can't just apply some template and then expect to achieve what you want to achieve. So the performer's job, your job in your work or sport or whatever happens to be, is to understand how all of these different things come together and work for you. And you can't predict it. There's no way you can plan out your career. You can't plan out your business as much as gurus would like to think and like to suggest you can. You can't. You've got to be able to move quickly. And I believe that when we immerse, immerse ourselves in our work and do what we can do right now to the best of our ability, the cumulative effect of that is what we call success, you know? And I think it's short-sighted to pursue success for success, for success's sake. Um, so the performatist and this whole pursuit of, uh, of I think it's, a, it's the wrong term to use, but pursuit because it implies that there's something out there in the future that you have to get yourself to um, and that you have to do everything right in order to get there. But uh, that's not true. So the performatist, this whole idea of the performatist has been building in my mind for a while. And it comes about through my own life experience in work and in business and also in sport. Um, and by basically messing things up, coming to the realization that there's no greater uh, accolade, there's no greater achievement than to find something you love to do and just throw yourself into it, you know. So the performatist uh, from this perspective is the one that makes a dent in the world, in your own corner of the world. It doesn't, you don't have to take on the world and, and, uh, uh, and, and win it, you know. You don't have to, you know, be some grand entrepreneur who's made millions in order to be the performatist. The performatist, I should say, the term is taken from uh, performatism. And uh, John L. Austin, the philosopher who said in his book, How to Do Things with Words, that there is a difference between language that describes the world, constitutive language, and language that does something in the world. So for example, uh, some philosophers, some academics suggest that gender is the product of performative language. So uh, in other words, society talks about male, female, uh, and you either become one or the other. And to be um, somewhere in between is there's something wrong with you. Uh, they say that teaching is performative. They say that um, uh, race is per performative. So um it's, I suppose, a product of growing up in a society that tells you who you are. And rather than accept, you know, the pre-written scripts for work and play and your life as a whole, being the performatist allows you to take control. And from the perspective of work, you command your own work rather than being told what to do. I mean, most of us work for other people. Um, and I think that's, that restricts our ability to grow and become who we want to become because, you know, go to college, you leave school, you go to college, you get a degree, maybe you get a master's or a PhD, 
you go into work and uh, work for someone else, or maybe you're a consultant or something like that, and you follow the pre-written script and off you go. And at some stage in your life, maybe you end up scratching your head going, is this it? So to become the performatist uh, means taking command of your own work for its own sake. It means uh, immersing yourself in your work for its own sake. It means becoming self-determined. Did I mention self-determination theory already? Not sure if I did. But self-determination theory has kind of got a hold of me to quite a large extent because it, it, it reflects these ideas that have been growing in my head about the importance, not only as a solo worker or um, someone who works for themselves or an individual sports person, but for, for anyone in a, in a work environment or a sporting environment where you're trying to work on a team, the best results you can achieve uh, apparently come about through self-direction, autonomy, uh, relatedness with others who are engaged in the same type of work, um, as opposed to being told what to do and working to a script, if that makes if that makes sense. Um, you know, when we go working for other people, they have agendas, they have ideas, they have wants and needs. Uh, and a big problem for a lot of us is that when you take living, breathing organisms such as human beings and you put them in these what I call fake plastic environments, fake plastic working environments where you have to uh, work to a particular rule or a particular concept, um, we often lose our sense of humanity and we have to subjugate ourselves to the commanding officer, you know, which is the business, which is the the and people often sacrifice their humanity for the sake of the rules, you know, the rules become so important. Bureaucracy takes over. Um, and I believe it's why uh, human beings, uh, in large part, are at odds with their work, you know. Now, I know my little field of research is very small uh, and I'm really only starting out, I suppose, in this area. But what I've what I have come to believe through my own work and experience is that most people are not happy with work with the work that they do, or they might say they're happy, but there's always a but, if you know what I mean. There's always a caveat to that happiness or contentment in work. Uh, and there are very few people, and I've just been running a kind of an ad hoc survey uh, with Google Forms for subscribers of mine. Uh, and I suppose 40%, I think that's accurate, of respondents have said, have gauged their satisfaction or happiness with work uh, between one and six on a, on a scale of one to 10. And then the other 60% uh, are seven, eight, nine, or 10. That's, you know, you grade your, your happiness with your work. I mean, it's very ad hoc and it's not uh, very scientific, but it kind of gives you an idea. And also a um, uh, little piece of research, research I did for my undergraduate, um, hopefully we'll have it published in the next couple of weeks or months. Um, showed me that uh, out of 250 people who responded to that survey, again, 40% of those people had a problem with work. And I think that when you take people, uh, human beings, and you put them in that environment where they have to um, subordinate themselves to the rule of work, to the commanding officer within work, between the, the commanding idea of work, we lose ourselves. And that's why we have stress. That's why we have anxiety. That's why we have uh, uh, people suffering depression at work. 
I mean, you can pinpoint it as being, you know, maybe it's bullying in one case, or maybe it's uh, the pressure to perform, or maybe it's to work all the hours that God sent. But it's it's primarily for me, and I know I'm kind of clutching, I'm, you could say I'm clutching at straws a little bit, but I think it's true that in large part work makes this huge imposition on human beings. That's why we're not as well as we could be. So the performatist, to become the performatist, is to go the opposite way. It's to nurture a state of mind that takes responsibility for personal conditions without criticizing yourself, without wondering, is this the right thing I'm supposed to be doing here? Um, it's free of fear and anxiety. You know, when we imagine the future, we're taking ourselves out of, out of the only moment that we can be effective. And when we lament the past, we do the same. The performatist, in this sense, stays grounded right now in the work that they're doing. And every one of you, I'd imagine, have had experience of this. You're just in the zone, everything. You're just on fire. You're just all of these plates, spinning all these plates or keeping all these fires lighting is a joy. And uh, now it might have a, a longer term effect. But in those moments, you realize that this is just this is the business here. I'm on fire. Um, but I think that it, it really, if this is to be sustainable, it has to come about uh, autonomously. You have to be able to direct your own work and be self-motivated. It's the intrinsics of what we do that inspire us to keep going rather than the extrinsics, almost superfluous stuff that we make important, you know, when really it isn't. So the performance doesn't seek acceptance or applause or reinforcement from other people. Uh, you can, and when it comes, you can celebrate it and you can go, geez, that's great. Look at that and enjoy it. But it doesn't take up a primary role. The performance is, is self-determined and we immerse ourselves in our work for its own sake, as I said, for curiosity, for the engagement in it, and everything else is a bonus. And that's really what I feel. So the content, have I have I captured that? I don't know. I've probably been banging on a little bit uh, and lost the the edge I was trying to kind of form. But however, um, the Performatist website is where I'm writing on this topic. And I'm, it's never finished. I'm still fleshing this out, this concept. But um, that's, that's what it is to me. Uh, and if we're not doing work that we enjoy, if it's not inspiring us to jump out of bed in the morning and go for it, uh, or if you're not jumping out of bed in the morning and going for it, at least at some point in the morning that you're inspired to go, not because you're going to get into trouble for not doing it, or not because someone's going to look down on you for not doing what you should be doing, but because you want to do it, you know? Um, and I think there's no, there's no better reason to work. The performatist sets out that agenda. Um, and in terms of psychology, well, that just informs pretty much everything that I do. I mean, well, it's kind of a two way street experience on one side and the theory on the other side. And, um, based on my own particular experience, some, uh, of the research that I read and some of the findings that I've, uh, gathered from my own miniature, um, degree of research I've done so far. Uh, kind of directs what I'm writing and, and recording. So that's what it's about. That's what the performatist is about. That's what the content I write here 
uh, I record here on on the podcast is about. And um, I hope you enjoy it. Now, I don't know where this will go. Uh, I'm going to keep plugging away and exploring the material, reporting it back to you here. Maybe it's of help to you. Hopefully it is. Uh, I keep writing about it because I enjoy it. I don't record this material for payment. Uh, I don't write for payment. I write because I want to. Um, but if you think this stuff is good, if you like what you're listening to, if you like what you read uh, over on theperformatist.com and larrygmaguire.com, you, uh, you can support my work and I'll include a link. Uh, go to larrygmaguire.com and there's a link up the top of the page, actually. I'll include it in this episode's show notes. You can click on that. And uh, for eight quid, eight euros, probably, I don't know, what's that in dollars? Maybe nine dollars, uh, about six pounds sterling. Um, you can support me in the work that I do. And uh, that's it. So that's all I've got for you in this episode. Thanks for listening in. Um, I'll see you next time on The Mental Game. Thanks for t- tuning in.